Hi everyone, welcome back to the Pilot's Wife podcast episode 9. This is the second of a two-part series about infidelity and unfaithfulness. And this second one goes into a bit more depth on the brain and its role in getting into a point where we're being unfaithful and also justifying why we're being unfaithful because if we can understand what's happening there, it helps us to go back and solve the original problem that uh, our brain is trying to solve by certain solutions that don't work for us and don't work for those people around us. So here's the question. For those of us who don't have a picture-perfect relationship, who don't put our highlights reel on social media and pretend it's all rosy, where can I get some down-to-earth inspiration without any religious barriers? Who can give me real-life encouragement, help me be a better spouse, and tell me how to get an even more enriching relationship without becoming a doormat? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. I'm Amy McLaren, and this is the Pilot's Wife Podcast. So episode 8 was a little bit heavy. It was talking about how we might find ourselves in a situation where we might be tempted to be unfaithful and also what to do about what well, and what to do about that and what to do about it if our partner or what to do about it if we want to avoid that happening to our partner. And I am all about doing things before they become a problem, resolving things before they become a problem, or as soon as, or as early as possible once we recognise it's a problem. So, uh, this is talking about what you can do before it even happens. So we're not talking about how to deal with it if you think someone's being unfaithful. Okay, we're talking about if you are nervous that your partner would ever do that to you. Here are some strategies and some things to think about to put in place and to help you feel confident that you've done some stuff to make sure it doesn't happen so that you can not worry about it and you can move on and have a wonderful and successful relationship. So I wanted to clarify something that I said in the previous episode. I said people don't just wake up one day and decide to have an affair. And I just want to go a bit deeper into that. I mean, people do decide to have affairs and they they search for people online that are open to this to do this. But the decision to have an affair, what I'm saying, that doesn't just happen overnight, like one night they're fine and they're happy and they're having a wonderful marriage with somebody and then the next day, bang, they're looking for someone to have an affair with. So it's a it's a gradual process and it starts with a thought or an experience or hearing someone talk about something or something that that we see um, and, and this thought latches on and it grows really slowly. And even... Even having these thoughts, that if we're talking about affairs, having thoughts like that we want to have an affair or that it might be a good thing or that um, let, let, let's explore that and, and think about it more, that's incongruent with the idea of being a faithful spouse, right? So there's this cognitive dissonance that kicks in and, and our thoughts about faithfulness and about our spouse's change so we can get get our congruence back between our thoughts and our behaviour. So that, that cognitive dissonance thing I talked about in episode 6, so if you haven't heard that one, go back to that, um, and I'll talk in more detail about how our brain works to try and justify thoughts that are not congruent with what we thought we believed in and our values. So why does a thought latch on and grow like that? And at its basic level, our, our brain is amazing, and... When we see something like this and we hear about an experience, we see an ad or we, we, we have a thought, something comes across our attention, it, there's always an insinuated or promised benefit or solution 
to a problem. And our brains, they work really fast to try and solve problems. Uh, any kind of problem we have, small or large, subconscious or, or conscious, can be the anchor for an infinite number of solutions to problems that cross our paths every minute of the day. Often, I think, the problems that, um, that we are insecure about or embarrassed about or that we, that we hide from are um, most at risk of something that our brains done, do, do, which is this kind of the subconscious problem-solving. There's, a, there's a, a term in psychology called heuristics, and it's when our brain jumps quickly from a problem to a solution based on years and years of experience and years and years of solving similar problems, maybe, and those heuristics start working on a solution for us without us even necessarily consciously approaching it as, you know, with, a, okay, I've got a problem and how do I resolve this? And so it starts to work it out for us. And if anyone's read Think and Grow Rich, that, that book uh, goes into a great amount of detail on this hypothesis of, uh, of, of how the brain works and working out a problem solutions for us subconsciously. So it, it talks about how we, uh, it, the brain creates pathways towards the solution. And if you think of maybe if you're going on a bushwalk and there's kind of a path that's well trodden and then, then it rains and, that, and, the, and the water flows in that path and it makes it deeper. And, and over time it becomes um, a bit of a, you know, a deep, uh, almost a, a stream or a, um, um, a path for water to flow really easily anyway. And, and that's kind of what's happening in our brain as we, as the brain thinks of the solution problem and works it out and, and thinks more about that and how to solve it and, and, and goes on like that. So... What, why I'm going into that is because after a while it makes it really hard to stray from that path and think of solving a problem in a different way. And so the longer that our brain works on solving a problem in a particular way, um, it's harder to go back and start again and look for another solution. And that's why it's so important to recognise this process. So if necessary, we can go back and consciously direct our brain down a better solution, down a different path, a conscientious or a conscious solution. Uh, so just want to go back and talk about, when I mention the problems that we're insecure about, embarrassed about, that we hide from, those are the ones that are, you know, we less conscious, we don't necessarily talk about those so much, we don't even necessarily think about them so much. Um, you know, things like, if they knew this about me, they wouldn't love me anymore. Uh, I feel useless at doing this particular thing, but it's um, one of the key responsibilities I have, or, or this is my responsibility and it's too hard, you know, those kinds of things. They're still problems that our brain is aware of that, you know, obviously think we think about on a subconscious level and, uh, you know, and, and it tries to find solutions or it notices or we get attention, we have attention on some solutions or on thoughts or on experiences, on things that our brain connects as, as a solution for that. So there are two types of these, I call them short solutions. So heuristic is another word for shortcut. So there's two types of these short solutions that our brain will try and will try and work out. And one of them is virtuous short solutions. So what I what I call a virtuous solution is one that brings life, it brings meaning, its benefits are awesome. Uh, they're enjoyed by all. It doesn't conflict with your core values. Sometimes it's the harder road but it brings greater rewards. It's, it's a win-win. And sometimes it's harder to realise these ones on your own with a single perspective. But our 
our brain still comes up with virtuous solutions all the time. An example, you know, might be going back to uh, these examples of problems that we might have. You know, I feel useless at this, but it's my responsibility. So we might see an ad for a course on getting better at something and the brain latches onto that. And over time, we're convinced we should sign up for a course. And that's a win-win because you improve, you're no longer useless. The course provider who's teaching you the stuff feels like they've got meaning and purpose from having helped you and others. Uh, your, your spouse will benefit in an area where those benefits also affect them. Your kids might benefit, your sports team might benefit if you're trying to improve in an area where you feel useless at sport but you don't want to let your team down so any of these kinds of examples and I use this as an example because Josh Josh did this we'd been married a number of years when he started to really develop quite serious symptoms of reflux what he discovered over a long period of time is well there's nothing I can do except have surgery and so he was on this medication and he had basically no other option as far as he knew except to take this medication for the rest of his life to avoid the symptoms of reflux. He must have noticed something online or did some research and saw an ad and found a course that over time he thought about. He talked about it with me and in the end he purchased this online course and learned about different strategies for avoiding reflux by changing the diet and this was, this was a pretty cool way of avoiding the medication. He went off the medication, he changed his diet straight away, and he saw results immediately. It was such a, a crazy, easy solution, but one that we never come across by going through the normal challenge ch channels of going to the doctor. So that's an example of a, a virtuous short solution. The second type of short solution I call a brazen short solution. This is one that may solve a problem or one problem but it creates others it has harmful side effects it's, it's kind of like a cheap way to solve a problem often a lot easier to achieve but then in the long term not so good and an example of this might be you know going back to those examples of some kind of problems that we might kind of that we might be embarrassed about or hide is it you know something like this is my responsibility and I'm useless at it so we might come across a way to shirk the responsibility. Maybe it's an invitation to go out for drinks. And so we take it up and then we do that more often. And we think, hey, that's worked for taking the place of doing that thing I'm responsible for that I'm useless at. You know, it might be watching Netflix and then getting hooked on a series or playing a game and then you keep playing the game. So it's to avoid the responsibility. But in general, it works because... I'm useless at this thing, therefore if I just avoid that, then I don't have to do it, and therefore I'm not useless at it because I'm not doing it. An example of that is we worked with a couple where the the guy would often go out for drinks, not, not necessarily every weekend, but he would go out regularly, and when he went out, he would stay out until 2, 3 in the morning, and when he came back, he would sleep most of the day, and left his uh, fiance with their child to, uh, to care for that child the rest of the day. I can imagine that deep down what was happening for this guy was he felt useless at his responsibility as a dad. The child was young and he found it really, really hard, particularly when it was a baby, but continuing on as it grew older to deal with the nighttime and no sleep 
and maybe even he 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 found it difficult to know what to do with them on the weekend and and what activities could could keep this child entertained but also not drive him crazy or whatever it was. He generally wanted to be a good dad but he found himself not doing it so well and so he tried to shoot that responsibility and not necessarily consciously. He just probably started with one invite out to drinks and then he just kept doing it and it got to the point where he was the one doing the invites out to all of his friends saying, who will come out with me? So these brazen examples, they're usually jumped to with a singular perspective. It solves a problem and it becomes hardwired in as an effective way to solve or avoid the problem, but it's usually not taking into account anyone else's perspective and usually that's because it is subconscious. It starts gradually and it starts slowly and then it just becomes a pattern. It starts to get ingrained. That pathway just gets a bit deeper each time. There are many examples of when our brain can select the virtuous short solution where we might still need agreement from our spouse. In the area of courses, we might need financial agreement, we might need time agreement, whether it's the spouse needing to participate or, or both of you, if it's, let's say, a, a course on how to bring up children better. Josh's discovery it meant no dairy, so that was a, a diet change, and not just for him, and it, because we really needed to change what I was cooking for dinner. I mean, half, about half of our dinners... Had, had cheese in them because that was what the kids ate and it was successful and so that's what we did. So a really, really difficult change because so many dishes had to change. So even if our brains are coming up with a virtuous short solution, we're still in a position where we probably need to get a perspective from our partner, at least talk about it and bring it up. When our brain goes for a brazen short solution though, our partner is vital in helping us go back an extra step. We've got to go back and figure out the underlying problem so we can figure out other ways to solve it and then we've got to kind of fill in that deep deep dug pathway and, and build another one. And that's really, really hard to do by yourself without another perspective, without someone else's ideas on how to do it and, and without letting somebody else in on being able to care for you and come up with a problem that works for both of you. Plus, our spouse is usually the one who's negatively reflected, no matter what area it's in. Because if we're going for a brazen short solution, albeit unsubconsciously at first, it, it affects us negatively. That's the, the nature of this kind of solution. And it, so it might be that it affects us at work, might be affecting us in our sports team, at home. Any negative side effects will affect us, and then they're going to affect our spouse. We just can't take them out of an equation when we're married because we're a part of each other. We're a team, and when something isn't going wrong for, isn't going right for one of us, doesn't go right for both of us because we we both lose out. So tying this all back to infidelity, if you've ever read How to Win Friends and Influence People, I highly recommend it. An awesome, awesome book. The first chapter describes how even the most serious villains you know those who murder people and have you know have tortured people and all that even that kind of person they they justify their behavior they have a reason for doing what they're doing and they don't think that they've really done anything wrong so even though people do such despicable things like cheat on their spouses or cheat with their friend's spouse they always feel like they're not really the vil the villain i recently saw on this marriage forum an example of a woman who wanted to wanted to 
share that she'd been sleeping with her best friend's husband for three years and she just wrote, you know, I've got a problem because I've started to notice it's affecting their relationship and I tried to end it but he got really angry so I don't know what to do. And it was funny, like, the responses from people were, you full stop are full stop delusional. I mean, people were like, how can you justify this? And then she would write again saying, well, I'm helping my best friend out because if it wasn't me, then it would have been some prostitute, you know, and, and people are like, you, what are you on? And, and, and I'm just, I'm saying this as an example, because, you know, these people just, they really work hard to justify what they're doing. And they can't see uh, that it, they can't see what they're doing wrong because it, otherwise they would have this intense feeling that they don't know how to deal with. And so it's it's no point pointing out that someone's wrong that and going on about stop doing something wrong because they just don't see it like that. And because it happens gradually, our, our brain works it all out for us. It just happens so slowly you just don't see it coming in. And before you know it, there's that really deep pathway. So if you're concerned that one day your spouse might hurt you by having an affair and I'm talking about one day I'm not talking about right now if you if you if that's a concern that you have firstly I would uh, I would say listen to episode eight the previous episode on this podcast and work on getting a marriage zone agreed that's that's a really good one to get in place before anything happens so they might um, they might think it's a bit strange if you're asking you know figure out a way to talk about it and bring it up in a way that's non-threatening to say hey look Sometimes uh, I worry that maybe you talk, or maybe I might talk to somebody outside our marriage about something that you wouldn't want me to talk about. How about if we sit down and just agree on what are the things that are okay to talk about and the, the things that are okay to share. And then once you're in that conversation, you can talk about some of your other concerns that you might have and what you could put in place. Ask them maybe if they'll listen to this episode so they can recognize in themselves the brazen from the virtuous short solutions our brains work on for us. And But, you know, that's understandable if they won't. I mean, many times Josh has told me about podcasts he's listened to that he thinks I should listen to, and there's just something in me that's kind of like, ah, oh, I don't have time, or I don't know if I really want to hear about that. Um, you know, any excuse can come up. And so I don't imagine that encouraging your spouse to listen to this episode will be uh, successful most of the time. But, hey, uh, if they if they are willing to, then that should really help. Another thing to do is, is set up a vision for your marriage. We do this with all of our pre-marriage couples very, very, very first thing that we go through with them. So going back to episode number one, what would your perfect marriage look like? So you can agree on some things and, and make, you know, write some things down maybe and have that as a vision for your marriage. I would make sure to include something along the lines of you can talk to me about anything you are struggling with and I can talk to you about anything I'm struggling with. And, you know, I, I promise to work on it with you, not overreact or have some kind of negative response to it straight away while we work on it you know something like that that you put in there just just asking you both to be honest with each other because if if you write this down and then you know a few years later you you do struggle with something and you want to talk about it you can bring this out and go look you agreed not to get upset I just need to be honest with you can you please work on this with me I think infidelity must seem like a big threat because where marriages go wrong that's a very public and probably it looks like quite a common cause you know, on, on the forums, that's one of the biggest topics by far. You know, people who think their spouses are cheating on them, people whose spouses are cheating on them, people who are cheating on people's spouses, and, you know, the, the list goes on. I think that's because it's a common way for a myriad of problems to materialise. It's a common way to avoid a whole bunch of problems we don't know how to solve. But 
it's a very blatant end to many relationships. And so it's right at the end. It's right when there's no other resolution because a lot of people will struggle to come out of that, to come out of some kind of infidelity. And, and But the, the basis behind that is often a different kind of problem and it's one that we're embarrassed about or we hide and we don't want to share it and so we try to avoid it in other ways. So do what you can to notice problems as early as you can. Diagnose them, resolve them as you go and, and just try to get in place a culture of being not too scared to share the stuff with each other with the agreement that you're going to work on them together. So I hope that's encouraged you. I know that these these two episodes have been a little bit heavy and maybe really hard, uh, definitely hard to talk about. It's never easy. But again, I just want to get this stuff out there and get it talked about because who knows, if it, even if this just helps one couple, it'll be worth it for me. So thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate you. Have an awesome day. Talk to you again next time.